Hey, good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning. If you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you got to be feeling pretty good. The Bills now get to 5-2 and two with their win over the Dolphins. We're certainly going to talk about that. NFL trade deadline is today. We saw a big move yesterday with Vaughn Miller. Going to talk about that, go around the league. Sabres out west, Syracuse basketball, so... Settle in, got some good stuff for you. I mentioned that the Bills get the 26-11 to 11 win over the Dolphins. And, you know, when, when I sat down to watch the game, I'm thinking, all right, second time you played the team already, you're coming off a bye, how do you come out of the gate and, and kind of take control of a game that you should win? And I, I still think this is new territory for the Bills. The Bills have long been the hunted. Now they are the hunter. Well, no, I'm sorry. said that wrong. They've long been the hunter. They're now the hunted because they are a team that's going to get everyone else's best team, best game. And when you look at an interdivision game, I think it brings a little bit more to the table. And with Miami, there's so much swirling around down there. They were a team that was... Thought to be a playoff team this year. They, they just haven't got out of their own way. They've got one win on the season. The rumors are as to whether or not two is the guy is Deshaun Watson coming in. Apparently the Texans and Dolphins had a trade on the table that then went off the table. So all those things going on. You knew the players, they hear all that and they want to just go out and play. So you knew they were going to get a good game from the Dolphins. And the Bills came out, and I thought Brian Dable's approach early on allowed the Dolphins to stick around. It was it was very much a conservative approach, and it was strange because you don't generally see that from Dable. You don't see handoff, handoff, incomplete pass, punt. But you saw that a few times. The first seven times the Bills had the ball. Now, one of those was a kneel down at the end of the first half. So the first six drives, the Bills got three points out of it and 100 yards total offense. That's not good against the Dolphins defense that has been beaten up. Matt Ryan threw for three 300 plus against that defense. Look, they've got very good cornerbacks with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. They're very good. Christian Wilkins on the D-line hasn't become the guy he's been drafted to be, but at the same time is a pretty good player. There's talent on that defense, but I don't want to hear that, well, they're very good, they're, they're underrated. No, no, you should have put this game away a lot earlier, and I know that's being somewhat picky, but when you think about it, it's three to nothing early in the third quarter, third quarter. I'm sorry, it's three three, but the Bills had only three points on a 57 yard field goal by Tyler Bass. So even that I thought was 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 strange. The approach by, as I mentioned, Dable, I didn't like. The approach by McDermott, I did not like. McDermott was very conservative, and I get it. To an extent, you're playing against a team that's not very good offensively. We talked about Tua. Tua on the day was 21 to 39 for 205 yards and a pick. The 39 for 205, roughly just over five yards per attempt. 
I, I think that's the thing with Tua right now, and that's why people are going to have a lot of questions going forward if Tua's ever going to be the guy. It seems like all he does is throw short. The Dolphins have some decent receivers. Early on, Devontae Parker, who always seems to have a couple good catches against the Bills, was doing exactly that. Jalen Waddell is a very good young receiver, and I think he'll figure it out. The offensive line isn't bad, but I just don't I don't know about Tua. I really don't. And I think in a perfect situation, similar to, to what New England is maybe doing with Mac Jones, Tua can be a serviceable NFL quarterback. But I think if you're looking for somebody to go out there and throw the ball 40 times and get your 400 yards, he's not going to be that guy. I know it's very early in his process. And he had a four-touchdown week game the week before. But overall, I think Tua is a guy that you draft, you hope, and then you go, eh, we got to do better. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are like that. You're okay with them, but I think if you really want to be a good team, you've got to do better at the position, and, and the Dolphins are certainly there. I thought Ed Oliver played a really good game for the Bills in this one. Maybe his best game as a Bill. Very active, and with Star and he back playing the way he's playing, I think it gives the Bills a lot of hope going forward, especially in the AFC. The AFC took a dramatic change, in my opinion, for the Bills this week. You watch the Tennessee game and you know against a power running team, the Bills are going to have trouble. Well, that to me is the worst matchup that the Bills can have as a power running team. And Tennessee has lost now Derrick Henry for the much of the remainder of the season. He'll likely be out most of the regular season, maybe back for the playoffs after having foot surgery yesterday. So that's a huge shift. But I love the way Oliver and Starr are playing in the middle of that defense right now. I think they're getting the job done in a big way. So that that was a very much a positive. Josh was okay in this one. And I thought in some ways hampered by the game plan. He took what was given to him in the second half, and I thought he did a better job of that. Cole Beasley was open all day, and I thought the fact that he was so open played in a big part of the changing of the game plan. He had 10 catches, 13 targets on the day, 110 yards. Stephon Diggs only had five catches. Emmanuel Sanders was shut out. Four targets for Sanders. And, of course, Tommy Sweeney making the start for for Dawson Knox. Not a lot there. But I think there's some things. I don't want to say trouble on the horizon for the Bills, but you look at the running game. Moss had six catches for 39 yards. That's the good news. Bad news, only eight carries for 19 yards. Can't, Can't win with that sort of production. Devin Singletary had seven catches for 28 yards. You take away Josh Allen's 55 yards on the ground and the Bills' running attack was negligent. It just didn't show up. It wasn't there. There wasn't anything good about the Bills' ground game. And with the injury now to John Feliciano, 
Spencer Brown was out, so Daryl Williams back at right tackle. And, you know, frankly, I'm okay with Daryl Williams at right tackle. I think he's a better right tackle than Spencer Brown. The problem is the right guard position. And that's why on Sunday it was interesting that they moved Feliciano over to right guard and brought in Ike Boker to play left guard. So they, they're moving things around in the interior of that line, and that's been the weakness for a couple of years now, in my opinion. Mitch Morse is a very average center, and they've got two very average guards when healthy. So the interior of the line is very average. Well, now you add a couple injuries up there. Feliciano's going to miss a couple weeks. Don't know about how long Brown is going to be out, but if you look at it, it looks like Boker's going to be the guy at left guard. Are you going back to Cody Ford? And, and should Cody Ford get hurt again, who's next up off the list? So I wouldn't be surprised today being the trade deadline that the Bills go out and find themselves a guard to maybe upgrade that position. I think that's a position of need and maybe the biggest position of need. I, I can't see them bringing in a tight end because if Dawson Knox is going to be back in a couple weeks, I think you're okay. If you look at the schedule... This week, they're at Jacksonville. Now, look, the Jags got their first win two weeks ago over in London. Didn't play well Sunday up in Seattle. You got to think that's a win for the Bills, regardless of who's at guard and who's at tight end. So I don't think there's urgency there. Then the following week, they go to New York to play the Jets. The Jets might have Zach Wilson back, but then again, is Zach Wilson the quarterback you want back. We'll talk about Mike White later in the show. And then the next two games are the games that you got to be healthy for. Indy, I know Carson Wentz made some terrible decisions, but that's a pretty good football team overall. And at New Orleans on Thanksgiving night where I don't know who the quarterback's going to be for the Saints, but their defense is a real defense in New Orleans. So you certainly have got to get healthy. You've got to do better. Again, I I think this was a game that the game plan hurt the Bills. I, I think that the the thought during the week or during the bye week was let's just play it close to the vest. They're not going to score much on us. Let's grind it out on them, and, and we'll get the win that way and wear them down. And essentially, that's what happened. But it took a lot longer for things to happen that way than I'm sure Brian Dable and Sean McDermott had imagined. It took midway through the third quarter where it seemed as though the Bills tried to get Josh going by going a little bit up-tempo and throw the ball down the field. I think that's something that concerns me a little bit going forward. When Josh isn't on... How do you call plays to get him going? You know, you think of basketball. If a shooter isn't, if his shot's not going, you find a way to get him in the paint and maybe get a layup or get to the line and see the ball go through the net. And because of that, you get a little bit better feeling for the next time you shoot. I'm not sure how they do that with Josh Allen, but I think that's a real thing. I thought it interesting after the game, of course, Halloween, Josh showed up in the Phil Mickelson costume, and I thought his comments about the discussions he's had with Mickelson 
were quite interesting that Mickelson had told him that you got to flush plays, you can't play well frustrated, you've got to keep an even keel and stop thinking about the last play or for Mickelson, the last shot and think about the next shot, you know, or the next play for Josh. So I thought that was interesting that he understands he doesn't play well frustrated. He does tend to get a little excited at times and I think it hurts him. So when things aren't going well, how do you go back to settling things down without a competent running game, which I really don't think the Bills have a competent running game? Without that, I'm not sure what the Bills can do to get that going. So I think that's the challenge now as you trend towards the playoffs, not only winning games to get home field, but figure out the intricacies of your team. How do you get guys involved? And I thought... Sunday, they waited a little too long to get Josh going, and I thought that the ways that they tried to get him going early weren't necessarily the smart ways. Also this, Sean McDermott loves him a a defensive timeout. Never seen a coach spend more timeouts on defense than Sean McDermott. He absolutely loves it. And while at times I'm okay with it, most of the time I'm not. Because to me, if your defense is taking a timeout because you want to see what the offense is going to do, you've just taken maybe their best play off the table. And I get I get that that's part of the philosophy. But you've also exposed your defense against their best play. You're giving them something and giving them a chance to get set and get themselves in order before they have a, it's generally a big play when he does it. I think it's something that as we go forward, the questions about McDermott as an in-game coach, late in games, late in halves, managing the clock, his ability to hold on to timeouts and save them for when needed in a tight game, I think there very well could be the difference there in winning a championship and not winning a championship. And it it very much concerns me because I haven't seen a ton of progression from McDermott in his game management style at the end of games end of half. And, And I think it's a problem. It hasn't reared its head because the Bills haven't played in a ton of close games. And if you're not playing in close games, you could go all Mike McCarthy on the clock and nobody cares. You could just mismanage the hell out of that thing and nobody cares and it doesn't matter. So I'm curious to see when they get into close games, especially in the playoffs, does McDermott overcome his desire to take a timeout on defense to hold that timeout for a key time late in the game on offense to stop the clock to give themselves an opportunity either to tie the game or win the game late. So something to keep an eye on. One more thing on the Dolphins before we go. This this franchise has a, a historic fan base. It was pretty cool seeing uh, Jim Kelly and Dan Marino on the field before the game, two old rivals. I also found it ironic, and it was very indicative of the cities that they represent, if you will. Kelly's there in a baseball hat and a pullover, going to a football game. Looked like any other middle-aged guy going to a football game. Dan Marino's there in a nice suit, looking good. 
looking real good. There you see the pictures. Shooter McGavin there, too. I don't know what the hell he was doing there, but it was pretty cool that he was there. But it, it just, you, you see Kelly in the hoodie, Marino in the suit, very indicative of Buffalo hoodie. If you're in Miami, South Beach, baby, you better have a nice suit or nobody wants to talk to you. And it just, it struck me as very cool. This was once a great rivalry. And at the end of the game, when the Bills, for whatever reason, went for two, I, I still don't really understand why McDermott went for two there, but it certainly pissed off the Dolphins. And Josh got into it a little bit with, Wilkins and wave bye-bye to Wilkins at the end of the game. Look, they're not going to play again until next year. Who knows what the situation's going to be in Miami next year. Stephen Ross, not the most patient owner. Look, I think Flores is a very good coach. I, I think he's having a very bad year. I also think this. Any front office that trades next year's number one pick to move up and draft a guy that you could have basically drafted the same guy or maybe a better guy at the same position has got to be looked at through a very fine looking glass. Because last year during the draft, the Dolphins traded up with the Eagles. I think it was from 12 to 6. Gave up a first round draft pick to go up and get Jalen Waddle. Now look, I, I like Jalen Waddle and I think he's going to be a fine player. Depending on who the quarterback is and what they build around him, I really think Jalen Waddle's an excellent young wide receiver. That said, at 12, or wherever it was, and I believe it was 12, Devontae Smith went to Philadelphia. Devontae Smith is going to be a really good wide receiver as well. In fact, there are a lot of people that think Devontae Smith is going to be a better receiver than Jalen Waddle. It's not about those two guys not being good. It's about those two guys both being good. And you spent what at this point is going to be a top five pick at worst to go up and get a, get one of them when you could have stayed where you are to get the other. Made no sense at the time and makes less sense now. That coupled with the fact that they are looking at a potential trade and it seems to be the only discussion you hear with Houston and Deshaun Watson, there's a ton of talk that last week the deal was done. And part of the deal was that Miami had asked Watson to go out and settle the 22-plus sexual assault not case, not assault cases, the civil cases, not criminal cases. Go out and settle them before the trade was going to be done. And when Houston apparently heard that those cases were going to be settled, they reneged on the deal and up the price. Well, of course, because now all of a sudden he can play. And and I said last week, if Houston really wants to push this thing forward. They should say, we're starting him this week because Davis Mills sucks. I mean, no, Davis Mills is a fine quarterback. He's not really. He's not good. But saying you're going to play Deshaun Watson to force the league's hand to suspend him because the league isn't going to act until Deshaun Watson's going to go back on the field. The league won't have everybody talking about the fact that, oh, there's 22 pending civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson for sexual advances towards 22 different massage therapists. I mean, think about the logic of this for a minute. First off, who's had a, who's had 22 massages by 22 different people in their lives? It, it just 
It's uncanny. If you're a professional athlete, generally, you have a massage therapist that you go to once, twice a week, whatever. It's all about, hey, I need uh, you to come over and work on my, my hamstring again, please. Thank you. Deshaun Watson has had at least 22 massages by 22 different women. Oh, and all 22 of those women claim that Deshaun Watson did something sexually to them or with them during a massage. I'm a smoke and fire guy. There's a lot there. And the more, the closer Deshaun Watson gets to going back on the field, the more details of this thing are going to come out. And the more the NFL is going to have to react because they haven't already. And the Dolphins, while they might not think two is the guy, and I don't think two is the guy, they're going to bring Deshaun Watson in? Oh, by the way, a sexual predator at South Beach, not a good move. Not a good move whatsoever. That, that environment is going to be horrific for Deshaun Watson. It just I, it doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. And I think this is a, an extremely poorly run franchise that's not going to turn things around anytime soon simply because of the people in charge running it. And Stephen Ross would rather hang out with celebrities at the Dolphins game than build a winner. And and I really, like I say, Brian Flores is a guy I like, and I think he's going to be a good coach eventually. But this entire organization needs a do-over, and they need to get themselves together. And, you know, good for Philadelphia for taking advantage of it because Miami, again, this year is going to be drafting very high in the draft, but it's not with their own pick. Crazy what they could have had and what they will have. Two entirely different things. Fortunately for the Bills, they've got two really bad organizations in their division. That's why New England for years won that division going away. The Bills need to take advantage of that as well. Let's go around the league and the the Week 8 games that mattered, especially the best Thursday night game we had seen was the Packers and Cardinals game. That was excellent. That was a really good game. What was crazy was the ending of that game. You watched Kyler Murray and and that offense not really get things going all night. Rodgers didn't have Devontae Adams, so the Packers offense wasn't all that good. And then at the end of the game, Kyler Murray drives them down. They're at least going to tie it with a field goal, probably win it with a touchdown. He throws a pass to A.J. Green, who's not even really running a route. A.J. Green didn't think the ball is coming to him, not paying attention. Razul Douglas makes an unbelievable one-handed interception to end the game. So bizarre. Now Arizona is no longer undefeated, so the remaining members of the 73 Dolphins can pop their champagne. I've always thought that an extremely strange tradition, by the way. I get it that you want to be the only undefeated team, but the fact that they always pop champagne when the final team lost, found that always to be very, very strange and petty. Just bothered me a little bit. But not only are the Cardinals now in the loss column, they may have to go a little while without Kyler Murray. He got dinged on the last play of the game. A lot of questions as to whether he'll be good to go this week or even next week. So it's going to be interesting. J.J. Watt 
out for the season with a shoulder injury. Watt had been playing extremely well, and and unfortunately, the injuries for J.J. Watt continue. I think J.J. Watt's going to be a Hall of Famer, but I also think this, if not for the injuries, there's a chance we're talking about J.J. Watt in the same circles we talk about some other revered defensive linemen like Bruce Smith and Reggie White and Mean Joe Green and guys like the like historic all-time greats. J.J. Watt is a great player. The injuries, I think, have cost him maybe a little bit there. Carolina beat Atlanta. Carolina once again had to move on from Sam Darnold during the game. Not only this time because he sucked. Well, he did, he did suck. He was not good. But he got concussed. So P.J. Walker came in and finished the game there. Atlanta's Calvin Ridley, and it was interesting, the timing of this. If you watch the Fox pregame show Sunday, there was an excellent interview with Jay Glazer and Lane Johnson of the Eagles. And Jay Glazer has been very open about his own mental struggles. And, and, and Lane Johnson, who has gone through it, and he opened up about stuff. And, you know, in a, in a big, tough man's league, it was really impactful to hear Lane Johnson talk about that. And then shortly after that, the news came down that Calvin Ridley stepping away from the Falcons for a few weeks to focus on his mental health. And, you know, as, as an old guy here who, who it was never part of growing up, never part of life when I was young. What's your problem? Get your head out of your ass. Get to work. Let's go. You know, the old school mentality. Well, it, it's refreshing that some very big names in sport are very open with their dealings with depression, anxiety, and and all sorts of things that go along with it because so many people suffer so badly from that. And I think, you know, you want to talk about role models and Charles Barkley's famous, I'm not a role model. Lane Johnson certainly became a role model on Sunday opening up. And there's so many people struggling with that with nobody to open up to if Ridley and Johnson guys like that man up the way they have and been open about what they're doing maybe it helps somebody and saves a life so I'm very much in favor of people getting the help and, and being able to be open about their struggles it was really good good to see 49ers beat the Bears on Sunday of course because the Bears are just the most boring team ever the Bears did get 100 yards rushing from Justin Fields, and go figure. You run that guy outside the pocket, he's an athlete, and he can make plays. You would have thought Matt Nagy would have figured that out during training camp, but Matt Nagy is not a very good head coach. Interesting in this one that the 49ers got 300-plus yards from Jimmy G. They also got two rushing touchdowns from Jimmy G. So I think Garoppolo has a little bit of a handle now on the starting job there. So we'll see how the 49ers continue to go forward. Steelers beat the Browns 15-10. to A lot to take away from this one. Baker Mayfield back at quarterback, and I'm sure a lot of people looking at, well, yeah, he's not the quarterback of the future. He's not the guy, and he may not be, but I'll I'll tell you one thing. He did not get a lot of help. Three drops by Jarvis Landry on the day. Odell Beckham had a drop as well. The offensive line still not back intact. They still don't have Kareem Hunt back, and Chubb is not quite the same yet. He's not 100%. Gutted it out a little bit, but... 
everyone's going to talk about Baker, and Baker's always going to be that guy that draws both criticism and praise probably more than he should because of his personality and the commercials and all the things that went along with being the number one overall pick. But I think Cleveland's got bigger issues than Baker Mayfield. Also, on the other side of the ball, the Steelers. T.J. Watt has just been a game wrecker, and he has been fantastic. That defense, I'll say it again, is good enough to win a championship right now. Offensively, the line is not strong enough, even though I love Najee Harris. He needs help. And Ben, I don't know who replaces him after this year, but whoever does elevates that offense. And and because of Ben's diminished capacity, can we say that? He just isn't the same guy, so therefore I can't take the Steelers as a legitimate contender. You know who else isn't a legitimate contender? The Detroit Lions. Well, maybe they are, because they might not win a game. I said last week Dan Campbell, might I think, is the right guy, but the players are not there for Detroit. And by not there, I mean he doesn't have any talent. Philadelphia, who I don't think is a very good team, Beat them 44-6. to Philly just had their way with them. Tough look in Detroit. <laughs> There's going to be a Thanksgiving game, as per usual, in Detroit this year. And once again, it's going to feature a bad football team in the Detroit Lions. It, it, they always seem to play well, though, on Thanksgiving. I hope they do get a win. I hate seeing teams go 0-16. The Rams, speaking of bad teams, the Texans are a bad team. The Rams were up 38 to nothing. The Texans put 22 on them in the fourth quarter. It didn't mean anything. Rams are going to be a really good team now with Vaughn Miller. I'll talk more about that in a bit. The Titans had a good win and a bad win in the same game. They beat Indy. Carson Wentz, what the hell are you doing? The turnovers late in that game, I, I just... Carson Wentz was a guy I was convinced was going to be a great quarterback for a long time. And then it just went away. I I don't know what this guy was thinking down on the goal line. Pick six, maybe the ugliest pick six of all time, unless you're a fan of the Titans, in which case it was probably a beautiful pick six. But Carson Wentz cost his team the game. It is just a work in progress at Indy. That's a good roster, but that's a bad quarterback. And, and I don't know why it's a bad quarterback, because the skills are there for him to be everything. But the big news coming out of this game was the injury to Derrick Henry. Henry had 28 carries in the game for 68 yards. Now, A.J. Brown, who, if you're watching this video, is pictured there. A.J. Brown's come alive the last couple weeks. He and Tannehill have been on the same page. He's been excellent. But Derrick Henry breaks his foot during the game, had surgery yesterday. And, you know, after the last couple years of Henry getting the ball close to 400 times for the last couple of years, and this year going to be on a pace for 500, he's had 219 carries so far in the first eight games of the season. It's just crazy how much usage that is. And I know he's big and strong, Man, you can't continue to do that. Something's got to give. His foot did. And now I don't know what to think of the Titans going forward. They were built around Derrick Henry. He's now gone. They've brought in Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson. Is it 1999? 
AP, I get it. Great career, still probably in great shape, played with the Redskins, I'm sorry, the Washington football team at the end of the year. But, my God, Adrian Peterson? Frank Gore wasn't available? Tony Dorsett couldn't, couldn't, I know Walter Payton has passed, but seriously, I I, I was shocked by that. Adrian Peterson. So, yeah, that's a, a thing. I don't know what to expect out of Tennessee going forward, but that was a nice win. Last week, I talked about the play with Tyler Heineke diving to the end zone and not getting credit for the touchdown because he was giving himself up on the way to the end zone. A horrific rule and a horrific interpretation and the inability to place logic into officiating. Just horrible. I think this week we might have seen a worse call because of the impact it could have down the line. The Bengals and Jets played. And first, before I complain about the call that changed this game, Mike White, the Jets' backup quarterback, this kid's kicked around for a little while. He was in Dallas and wasn't able to beat out Cooper Rush, whose name we'll talk about shortly. But Mike White threw for 405 yards, three touchdowns, couple picks, looked like a quarterback, and gave the Jets a real hope. Now, Zach Wilson hasn't looked like a quarterback very often this year, and he's dinged with that knee injury he suffered last week. White getting the chance. I don't know what to expect from White, but, man, I'm not sure if White comes out this week and has another good game and say Zach Wilson's ready to go against the Bills the following week, I'm not sure I don't stick with Mike White for a little while because, hey, you don't know what you have in Zach Wilson, but you also don't know what you have in Mike White. And there might be something there. There might be something real there where you can take advantage of that. So the Jets, good on you. Nice win for that team. Now the call. Now, Joe Burrow wasn't good. And he made, Shaq Lawson made a play on him that was great in the fourth quarter. But Joe Burrow's a young quarterback who's going to struggle at times, and he did against a good Jets defensive line on Sunday. But late in the game, the Bengals had a chance, down three, to get the ball back, get off the field, and give themselves a chance, A, to either win the game late in the game, or to kick a field goal to tie it, send it in overtime. A swing pass out to the flat for the Jets. Mike Hilton comes up to make the play. And Hilton goes low. And here you're seeing the play. Goes low to make a tackle. The Jets' back lowers his head and shoulder as well. Here you see it, and it's a textbook tackle. And they they call it helmet to helmet. 15 yards. The Jets get a first down, stay on the field, and end up getting another first down and running the clock out. Unbelievable. Just an amazing, amazingly bad interpretation of the rule. If there's a Sky Judge who can look at that and go, no, pick that flag up, please, there's no way. that. And when you look at the potential impact of that call, the Steelers are now 4-3. and three. The Browns are 4-4. Four and four. The Ravens are the best team in that division. And, and they have a loss to the Bengals, who are now 5-3. and three. That loss could end up 
costing the Bengals a playoff spot because late in the season, that's going to come down to a tiebreaker, and it's going to be a huge thing. Now, look, I get it that since he didn't play their best game and the Jets played a really good game, but the NFL, their inability to use a sky judge or, or logic in, in applying these new player safety rules, that's not what the helmet-to-helmet was set out to be. That's not the point of it. What's Hilton supposed to do? He's It's impossible for him to lift his head up and see what he's hitting. Oh, and when the running back's lowering his head, shouldn't the penalty be on the running back? Shouldn't that have been, isn't he the one who essentially initiated that? Uh, it's just a horrible interpretation of what I think is a bad rule. Because the bad rule comes in where defenseless player, you're using, you're leading with your helmet. That wasn't leading with his helmet. If you go low to make a tackle, it's impossible not to have your helmet in front of your shoulders. This just in, your head's above your shoulders. That was horrific. And the NFL better figure that out before that comes to haunt them in a big game. Chargers have struggled the last couple weeks out. Justin Herbert, a few weeks ago, was the best quarterback in the NFL, according to pundits. So I'd take him over Patrick Mahomes. I'd take him over Josh Allen. Two average, and maybe I'm being kind by saying average, weeks in a row. And all of a sudden, you have to question, is there something going on in L.A. with the Chargers? Or is it just growing pains? Or is it the fact they finally played a couple pretty good defenses? And this defense this week that they played against, the New England Patriots, something that the the Bills, this is going to be interesting in a few weeks when the Bills play them a couple times within a couple weeks. It's interesting to see how this defense has grown and Belichick all of a sudden has his type of defense again. Mac Jones on the offensive side, the more I watch this kid, the more I like what I see. He's not flashy. He's not got the cannon arm like Josh does. But the kid gets it. And he makes a lot of plays, and they're putting him in a position to be smart with the football. And he's smart with the football. He's doing everything that they wanted him to do. And the the Patriots, I, I didn't think they were a playoff team at the beginning of the year. And they always get better as the year goes on under Belichick. They're doing that now. I think that's going to be a real test when the Bills play them. I, I, I don't expect the Bills to sweep the season series. I I do expect them to split it, and I think they're going to have to work hard to do that. It's going to be a good, good test. And for the Chargers and Herbert, look, maybe too much was put on this kid too soon, and I'm not saying he's not a great young quarterback because he is, but the last couple weeks haven't been good. He's been confused by defenses. They've got to get him some help and figure some things out because he hasn't been the same guy the last few weeks than he was the first few weeks. He's a great prospect, and I really think the kid is going to be an outstanding player in this league for a long time. But the last couple weeks have not been good, so keep an eye on what's going on there. Remember when the Jets drafted Geno Smith? That seemed like a stretch even back then. But then Gino reared his head out in Seattle and cost his team a couple games late. The one thing I always thought about Gino Smith is that he could throw the football. And he can. Gino could throw the football. 
There are other things that go along with the quarterback position that Gino's not so good at. But on Sunday against the Jags, which is like playing a practice game, you know, you might as well put your red jersey on a few guys. Gino was really good. He threw the ball to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf 19 times. He completed 18 of them. Tyler Lockett had been MIA since Russell Wilson's injury. On Sunday, he had 12 catches for 142 yards. Metcalf had a couple touchdowns. Gino was freaking great. 20 to 24, 195, two touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. It might have been the best game Geno Smith has ever played. It's just shocking how good he was. Denver beat the Washington football team. And I, I, I always try to say something nice about every team, but the Washington football team, Tyler Heineke, I really like this kid. I really do. But he's got to stop turning it over. Two more picks on Sunday against the Broncos. But at least there was this. Jarrett Patterson sighting. The UB kid, first game that he got real carries, had 11, uh, 10 carries, 11 carries for 46 yards. Good to see Jarrett Patterson getting some action. And I really think he has a chance to be a good NFL back down the line. Saints Buccaneers. The quarterbacks are the story of this game, even though the defenses probably should be. Jameis Winston suffers a torn ACL on a horse collar tackle. Really tough break for Jameis and a tough break for the Saints. The Saints defense stand up. Tom Brady throws a late pick six that costs the game. I mean, Brady had four touchdowns in the game, but man, Trevor Simeon now going forward for the, the Saints. Brady just didn't get it done, probably because he wore his hat backwards the week before. Now he's he's careless with the football. I'm sure that's coming to a Colin Cowherd show any day now. Really strange doings in the Big Easy. And their defense is, is a playoff-type defense. They're kind of like Pittsburgh in a way. Very good offensive line, though. So I think if they get any kind of quarterback play, I, I think there's something there. And, I, I won't say Deshaun Watson to New Orleans, but if I'm New Orleans, I make that phone call. I, I see if there's a chance to bring him in because that's a damn good football team. I'm not sure about the quarterback situation with Trevor Simeon, with anybody on that roster going forward without Jameis. But it was great to see Jameis in the locker room celebrating on crutches after that big win. Just Sucks for Jameis that he bet on himself and was was doing all right. And unfortunately, the injury is going to kill that. Dak Prescott's injury kept him out of Sunday's game. And when you saw the pregame workouts, you thought, he looks pretty good. Uh, The Cowboys, and I got to give the Jones boys credit, and McCarthy or whoever made the decision, wasn't about week eight. It's about the 17-game season. They held Dak out against Minnesota. Cooper Rush who once lit up Syracuse for like 500 yards while at Central Michigan. He played a good game. And as the game went along, he got better and better. And the touchdown pass at the end to Amari Cooper was a thing of beauty. It was a great throw. Amari Cooper goes up and makes an excellent catch. The play of the game to me was Ezekiel Elliott on the third down, breaking tackles on a swing pass to, to ensure the first down 
really, really hard running. And, and you look at the Vikings and Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook and that offense, Adam Thielen, Jefferson, they've got so much talent. What the hell's wrong? And for the Cowboys, one other guy I got to mention, and if you know the story, if you like turnarounds in life and careers, you should probably be rooting for Randy Gregory. Gregory was a controversial second-round pick by the Cowboys years ago out of Nebraska. Would have been a top-five pick coming out of Nebraska if he could have ever put the bong down while he was at Nebraska. Really troubled individual. Well, fast-forward multiple suspensions and away from the team. And now he's in a pretty good place with his health, his mental health. And it seems to be uh, doing a good job staying away from the bong. Well, then again, the NFL doesn't test for weed anymore. So maybe he just hits the bong and nobody cares. Either way, this guy's become an absolute beast on that defensive line. If you watch the Cowboys, watch 94. He is a game-changing defensive end. He is an absolute stud. And it's it's great to see him come from where he was to where he is and, and make the plays he's doing. From By all accounts, a really good kid who just went way sideways and, and now seems to be figuring things out. So, you look at the Cowboys, the win that they get, and, and that right there, the highest graded defensive ends in the game. Max Crosby of the Raiders, Garrett, of course, the former number one overall pick from the Browns, and Randy Gregory. So really, really impactful player for the Cowboys, and, and good to see him. And, and you look at the Cowboys getting that win without Dak Prescott, They've got Demarcus Lawrence coming back soon. You add Demarcus Lawrence to the mix. He's their best pass rusher over the last couple of years. This might be a special year in Dallas, but I think the NFC will go through L.A. and the Rams. And last night, the sun, the Monday night game, the Giants and the Chiefs. Now, look, I'm of the belief that Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the league. But there's something wrong in Kansas City. The Giants' defense played a good game last night. And they had a gimmick defense, essentially. They were daring the Chiefs to go slow and throw the ball seven yards at a time and matriculate the ball down the field, old school. And and for the most part, the Chiefs did. But you look at Mahomes' numbers last night. Threw the ball 48 times for only 275 yards. The interception I don't care about because it wasn't his fault. But... That said, there's something off about this team. Travis Kelsey was a non-factor last night. Tyreek Hill had a bunch of catches, but very few yards. Really, really strange doings. And for the Giants, man, Daniel Jones holds the ball so long in the pocket. He has taken more sacks than anybody who's come, since he's come into the league. He's also fumbled more times than anybody since he's come into the league. And to me, it's pretty simple because he holds the ball too damn long in the pocket. He can throw it. He can run. He's not the guy. He's going to be the guy for a while, but he's not the guy that you win with in New York. So Giants Giants fans, and I know there are a lot of them in the area, you have my sympathy because you, you have the worst of both worlds. Not only do you have a football team that isn't very good, you have a football team that's downright boring. 
without Saquon Barkley, they're a tough watch. And by the way, Kadarius Toney apparently could throw the ball 70 yards. He threw a pass last night. Let that kid play quarterback. Be a lot more fun watching him play quarterback than Daniel Jones. My God, they're unwatchable. And keep them off primetime, please. I know it's the biggest market in, in everything, but the Jets and Giants on primetime, as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, yeah. By the way, the Jets are on Thursday Night Football this week. Programming note. Trade deadline is today. Von Miller goes to the Rams for a second and a third. Von Miller joins two of the best defensive players in the league, and Jalen Ramsey and, of course, Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in the league. I don't know what Von Miller's got left in the tank. I don't know how many games he could stay healthy for at this point of his career. But if you use him properly, and kind of like what Denver did with DeMarcus Ware at the end of his career, if you remember that, helped them get a Super Bowl victory with Peyton Manning. And I know Manning gets all the credit there. But DeMarcus Ware was a phenomenal addition to that team. I think this is a phenomenal addition to this Rams team. Because now you've got another pass rusher that you better know where he is, you better account for him, and you better double him. That means you're doubling him and Donald, and a guy like Floyd is going to be single-covered and should be able to wreak havoc on offenses. Everyone talks about Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford and how great. That defense might be the difference in why the Rams could win a Super Bowl this year. That's a great, great move. Who was interested in that move? Who else was looking at bringing in Von Miller? The Buffalo Bills, apparently, according to Peter Schrager of the NFL Network. The Bills had made calls on Von Miller. So I don't know that Brandon Bean makes a deal today. It is deadline day. But I really think the Bills see an opportunity. They see a chance to win a championship. And if you're one piece away or a key piece that you think can put you over the top, you make that deal. You give up what you got to give up to make that deal. Because you don't get many chances to win a championship. The Bills have never won one. I don't know what Brandon Bean will do today, if anything. Talked about the guard position. Talked about the tight end position. I didn't think they need a pass rusher because of their amount of defensive linemen, but if they can find one, boy, go get it. Because right now the pass rush is a problem and the offensive line is a problem. So I would be interested to see what happens with the Bills on this trade deadline. The two other names, obviously, I'm watching Deshaun Watson. If there's a deal out there, I'm intrigued to see when and if Deshaun Watson gets on the field and and what team is willing to bring in a guy that 22 women say he's sexually assaulted. I want to see who has the balls to bring that move to their city because I think it takes a lot to, to sell that to your fan base. The other name I'm mentioning, big name, is Odell Beckham. Beckham hasn't been the same player in Cleveland that he was in New York. He is coming off an ACL and not right. But I I just don't think he's a good fit in Cleveland. I I don't think he's somebody that is helping them in any way. I I won't say he's hurting them. But why pay him and why have him out there if he's not helping you? I, I think he right now is a guy who they could move on from and their offense doesn't get any worse. 
It's not better because of him. It's not worse with him. World Series could wrap up tonight. Tonight and tomorrow, the series shifts back to Houston. The Braves are up 3-2, to two, and it's it's weird. I was looking at the composite box score for this World Series today, and you know, you, you, you've seen some great plays and some big hits and some timely hits on both sides. There's been two games that have been very good, and then there's been three games that haven't been very good. I don't know who the MVP would be. If, if the Braves win tonight, I don't know who the MVP would be of this series because they really haven't had a guy who's been that guy. They had obvious guys in the championship series, but it hasn't been. One thing about this World Series, the, the fact that both teams have lost a key starting pitcher as it's gone on, it's been really Fun to watch Freddie Freeman get a chance at a World Series. A guy who I've respected for a long, long time. Freddie hit a bomb the other night. 460-foot home run. It's just fun to watch a really good guy get his chance at a title. And I'm real happy for Freddie Freeman that he gets that opportunity. I'm interested to see how this closes out because Houston, there's a lot of playoff veterans there. Bregman had a big hit finally. He hadn't done much through the series, but he had a very good game five. And then you look at Korea had a very good game five as well. Atuve has been solid. Look, everyone can point to Houston and see a bunch of cheaters and hate that team, and I'm one of those people who doesn't like that team. But those three names I just mentioned – those are great players. Alvarez is a great player. The out, the right fielder Parker is a great young player. There is a lot to like about this Houston team, of course, unless you're a Braves fan right now. Should be a good game six tonight. I'm looking forward to seeing how that unfolds. The Sabres are making uh, their West Coast swing. They're 5-2-1. and one. They've got two more games out West. They won a game out in Anaheim, and then they lost in L.A., and now tonight they're in San Jose, and then Thursday they finish up in Seattle, their first ever trip to Seattle. The Sabres continuing to make noise on the ice by playing well, and quietly beyond, beyond the ice or off the ice, there's still a lot of talk about Jack Eichel. Eichel to Vegas seems to be the latest hot rumor. If it happens, and I've said this off the air many times. I don't think I've said it on the air. A package coming back to Buffalo could include a kid from Rochester, Jack Dugan. Heck of a young player. Played at Providence, led the nation in scoring. Last year was his rookie year in Henderson with the Vegas organization. Had a very good rookie year out there. Wouldn't be shocked if he's somebody that if the Sabres and Knights do agree on a deal for Eichel, that the Sabres try to get to come back, whether or not he'd go right to Buffalo or here in Rochester. Either way, it'd be interesting and great to see a local kid be part of that deal. Although, because I know the family a little bit and because I know the kid a little bit, I much prefer him to stay in Vegas and play for the Knights because it's a much better organization than it is going to ever be here in Buffalo. So I hope the best for Jack Dugan, but I also selfishly wouldn't mind being able to to go see him play in Buffalo a couple times a year as well. Finish up with a couple thoughts on the Syracuse basketball team. They've now played a couple scrimmages. They played Pace, and last night they played LeMoyne. And for SU, 
it's it's pretty obvious how this team is going to play this year. They're going to shoot the three. I talked about it last week. Didn't really know what the starting rotation could be. Look, Jim Beheim is always going to be a guy who plays seven or eight guys. That's always it. You, you can look at the depth any way you want at the beginning of the year. They could go 10 deep. They're never going to go 10 deep under Jim Beheim. It'll be seven, maybe eight. And I think what we've found so far is the seven or eight this year that we're going to see, we know who they are. And two of them couple into one, either John Bolajak or Rama Sidibe. Whoever comes back may be the eighth player, likely Sidibe if he's healthy. That's the eighth guy. The other seven, the starting lineup, Jim Beheim, the son, Buddy Beheim, the other son, they're both going to start this year. You're also going to see Joe Girard, who had a really good game last night against LeMoyne. And again, it's against LeMoyne. But you're going to have him, Cole Swider, the Villanova transfer, and Jesse Edwards, who came on so well at the end of last year. That's your starting five. Benny Williams is a really good freshman and one of the better freshmen the Orange have had in a long time. He's going to be the first guy off the bench. Samir Torrance is going to be the key guard coming off the bench. And you're going to have the big man, Frank Anselm, as part of the rotation early on until either Sidibe or Jock get back healthy. I think both of those names are ahead of Anselm on the rotation, on the depth chart. But for now, that's what you're going to see. But the thing is, this team's got to shoot it. When you look at it, both Bayheim boys can shoot it. Gerard can shoot it. Cole Swider can shoot it. So you've got four guys starting that can all shoot the three. Then Benny Williams comes off the bench. He can shoot it. So that's how this team is going to play. Last night against LeMoyne, 11-26 from three. Gerard, I mentioned, had 20 points, nine assists. Swider had 18 points last night. He led the team in scoring against Pace. So if you like guys who can shoot it, you're going to like this team. There's going to be nights they're going to go out there and they're not going to be able to make shots and they're going to look terrible. But by and large, this is a team that's going to live by the three and die by the three. I just hope that they push tempo to create opportunities for threes in transition. And I think that's where the improvement of Joe Girard as a point guard can go a long way. So it's going to be fun to watch this team this year. I I predict that they will be a middle-of-the-pack ACC team that has both big wins and losses that you look at and go, what? They they shouldn't have lost that game. I don't think it's anything that a tournament team that goes deep. I think they are a tournament team. But it's going to be different to watch because it's all about the three. And then next year, Jim Beheim, in his words, has the best recruiting class he's ever had coming in. So we'll see how things shake out going forward. That's it for this week. Keep your ears tuned to the trade deadline. We'll certainly recap it next week, see if Baller Bean goes out and makes a big move. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.